Well, good morning. I want to welcome you this morning. It's a beautiful day in South Florida. Thank God for this a new day. Psalmist David said, I was glad when they sent unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And there's no better place to be than in God's house with God's people. And especially today as we celebrate the Lord's Day. So I want to welcome all of you that join us. I've seen some of you join us from other countries already. And, uh, and those that are joining us from around the state and others from other states and those that are here and those that are home in their PJ still. I uh, want to welcome you in spite of that. <laughs> Good to have you with us this morning. And glad that you're joining us for a special day today as we celebrate our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's always a wonderful day to be able to do that. And so we have the privilege of being here in the house of God. And you can join us. So we want to welcome you this morning. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. And I just ask him to be with us and to minister to every individual. He has something for everyone today. You can receive as much as your faith is willing to take. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for this wonderful privilege to be in your house, to gather with your people, and to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And as we come this morning, O oh God, and worshiping with those in other places, at home, in other states, in other countries, we come together in the name of Jesus. We come under one banner, the banner of Christ. And we approach your throne of grace this morning as children that are needy, as children that need your help. We ask you to be merciful. We ask you, Lord God, to look down upon us to be gracious as you've always been, to be merciful. You are an awesome God, a God who is ready to forgive us and to cleanse us. And we ask this morning that you would do that. Purify us, O oh God, that we may worship you in spirit and in truth, that we may live lives that are pleasing to you. And Lord, we invite you to do something special, for every individual that will participate in this service this morning. Let no one be the same at the end of the service. But the Spirit of God will have done something supernatural in every heart and in every life. We thank you for that which you're doing right now. We thank you for the preparations of the heart right now. And we give you all the glory and all the praise and all the honor. And in the end, Father, we want you to be glorified. We, your people, to be edified. And let the devil be terrified. In Jesus' name. And all God's people everywhere say, Amen. Well, let's welcome the worship team as they come this morning to lead us in our time of worship. Join them. Praise God. God bless you. Praise the Lord. Good morning, church. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It is great to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Can I just get a wave offering? I know you're smiling back at me through those eyes this morning. Father, we bless you this morning. We give you glory. We say, holy is the Lord, God Almighty. The earth is filled with his glory this morning. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. 
Thank you, Father. Oh, yeah. Hallelujah. We stand and lift up our hands. Yeah. For the joy of the Lord is our strength. Oh, we bow down and worship him now. How great, how awesome is he. We stand and lift up our hands. We stand and lift up our hands for the joy. For the joy of the Lord is our strength. We bow down. We bow down and worship him now. How great, how awesome is he. Holy is, holy is the Lord. God Almighty, the earth is filled with his glory. Holy is the Lord, God Almighty. The earth is filled with his the glory. The earth is filled with his glory. The earth is filled with his Come glory. Come on, we stand and lift up our hands this morning. Hallelujah. We stand and lift up our hands. Oh, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. We bow down, we bow down. We bow down and worship him now. How great, how awesome is Come on, one more time, can we sing it again? We stand and lift up. We stand and lift up Oh, for the joy, for the joy, for the joy of the Lord. Yes, it's my strength this morning. We bow down, we bow down and worship him now. How great. How awesome is he? Holy, holy is the Lord. God Almighty. The earth is filled, earth is filled with his glory. Holy is the Lord. God Almighty. The earth is filled with his glory. The earth, the earth is filled. Filled with his glory, the earth 
praise you this morning, God. We thank you that the earth is filled with your glory this morning. Hallelujah. Great God, what a mighty God we serve this morning. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. From the rising of the sun to the going on of the same. God, your name is worthy. God, your name is worthy. God, your name is still worthy. Your name is still worthy to be praised. So we lift you up this morning. We give you what's yours this morning. We place you high this morning yes, hallelujah Lord. we lift up our praise god we lift up our praise god despite how we feel god hallelujah or despite what we may think god you're still worthy you're still great you're still able you're still more than able god and we honor your presence this morning hallelujah we thank you jesus we thank you that the earth is filled. We declare that the earth is filled with your glory. We declare that the earth is filled with your glory this morning. Hallelujah. Jesus. God, we thank you. God, and we thank you that you are our source of strength. Hallelujah. You are our source of peace. You are our source of hope. You are our source of joy. Hallelujah. We celebrate your Lordship this morning because we can run to you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You are my strength. Yes, God. Hallelujah. Strength like no other. You're worthy, Father. Strength like no other. Yeah. Reaches to me. You are my strength. Yes. Hallelujah. Come on, tell him. Strength like no other. Oh, yeah. Strength like no other reaches, reaches to me. Come on, you need strength this morning. Tell them, God, you are my strength. Strength like no other. Strength like no other. Hallelujah. Strength like no other reaches. You are my hope. On Christ the solid rock we 
stand this morning. Hope, hope like, like no hope like other. other. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hope like, hope like no other. Reaches to me. Reaches to me. Come on, lift your voice wherever you are. In the fullness of your right. In the fullness of your grace. Hallelujah. In the power. virtual church. I'm asked to pray this morning and I'm just going to follow the Holy Spirit's leading. I'm a nurse by profession and one thing I've learned in medicine is when there is a boil you don't just treat it with an external cure. It is um, opened, what they call an incision is made the nasty pus is expelled and then there's follow-up treatment and I know many black brown yellow and white have expressed their frustration that there's still protest against injustice 
that it should stop. We're tired of this. But you see, there can be no healing until the pus is expelled and it's flushed out. And I believe at this season of our nation, God has made an incision. He has allowed it. And he's expelling the pus, the dark, hidden secrets, the evil schemes of hundreds of years. He's exposing what was so secret and hidden, what was shameful and disguised and not even included in some of the history. He's bringing to light that which was covered up. And unless we face truth, there can be no healing. It doesn't mean that we overcome evil with evil. That's not the word of God. It commands us to overcome evil with good. But the evil must be exposed. And the light replaces where there's been so much darkness. So I encourage those of you who find offense in prolonged protest and expressions against injustice that think if you had a boil, would you like just a poultice on it or would you like the pus and the infection to be squeezed out so you can be healed? We've been called by our organization to have silence, a period of silence today. Their commission on racial injustice or racial whatever. Silence is an anathema. We've been silent for too long. And I stand here today. We cannot be silent anymore. So I will pray for unity and justice. But it will not be silence. Silence is a curse word. Too many have been silent for too long. Righteous people have not cried out when they should. And that's why injustice has persisted. And the church cannot have silent prayer. The church should be shouting out loud prayers for unity. Loud cries for healing. Loud cries for justice and righteousness. Not silence. Silence is a bad word. It is time. It is time to speak. It is time to cry from the mountaintops. It is time to cry from the narrow places. It is time to cry from the broad streets. It is time for the wailing women to get up and wail. It is time for men to cry out everywhere. Men of all races who love God. Because God hates injustice. And it has persisted for hundreds of years. Open Bible. We call you to cry out loudly. It's not about Floyd. It's not about any individual. It's about righteousness and justice. Unity can only occur when we face our unrighteous deeds towards one another. Forgiveness will only take place when we admit our unrighteousness. We cannot cover it over with passivity. Today, I ask you to join me as we pray that God would continue his work through whatever means. Let us not forget the scriptures. Many times he raised up wicked people to punish his people. 
and it's not pleasant. It talks about the women going bald and walking barefooted and bellies being cut open because of sin and idolatry. Today our nation has moved as far away from God as could be and we have been silent and the church has cowered. Today I call the church back to righteousness. I am nothing. I am just a voice that refuses to be silent. I call the church to look at itself, to introspect against the laws of God and the word of God. I call the church to look in the mirror of the word. And as James said, may we not be as the man who looks in the mirror and see himself disheveled and walk away the same way. But may we humbly repent before God that our hearts may be purged of evil and that we may return to the living God. I call you to join me today in prayer. There's none of us so righteous that we don't need to pray and call on God. And there is hate on both sides. There's offense on both sides. All sides. And we all need to humble ourselves today. The day is at hand and the time is short, folks. The battle is not between black and white. The battle is between good and evil. Let us not be deceived. Would you bow your heads with me in your hearts? Our Father in heaven, you're the God of all righteousness, the God of justice, the God of truth. Because you're holy and you can never change your holiness, you remain holy regardless. Forgive us our sins. Forgive us our iniquity. Forgive our offense when we hear others cry out for their pain that they have caused. Forgive us our pride and our self-centeredness because we're not hurting and we cannot understand why others are crying for their pain. Forgive us the insensitivity of our hearts today. For you said when one hurts, we all should hurt. We ask your forgiveness. We ask your forgiveness for our nation. We ask your forgiveness to those you have called to lead. Who are supposed to advance justice and righteousness. Instead, they turn blind eyes because of politics. Forgive those who know the right. And they lack boldness to stand up courageously and speak. It's not about a color or a man. It's about unrighteousness and evil in our society, and you hate both. Today, we ask for courage for those who lead. Lord, we pray you'd give them wise counselors that they would do what is right. They would make righteous decisions. For it is you that reign in the affairs of men. It is you that put one up and take one down. And no one can change your purpose. No one. So today we ask that righteousness may exalt our nation and we may come to the understanding and the acceptance that sin is a reproach to any people. Forgive your church for our hypocrisy. Forgive your church for our double standard. Forgive your church when we categorize sin and some sins don't bother us. 
Forgive when our hearts have been closed to the pain of injustice. Forgive when we have covered up division with other names. Forgive us, your church. Forgive your shepherds who have failed to guide the flock. Not only have our national leaders failed, but your shepherds have failed to guide your people in truth and in righteousness because your word tells us to love one another. Today we ask your cleansing. Today we ask that you'd heal us, that you take away our blindness, our spiritual blindness, our cultural blindness, our cultural insensitivity, our hearts, Lord, that are so scorched that we don't feel as we should. We don't feel as you do. We're overrun by politics and all sorts of other ticks. Forgive us, Lord. I ask you to forgive your church for not heeding your injunction to pray in 2 Chronicles 7.14 because you have given us the answer. You said, if my people are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways. You made a promise that you'd hear from heaven. You'd forgive our sins and you'd heal our land. Forgive our church, churches. Forgive us believers for not heeding your command. Forgive us, God, that we have been obsessed with the media more than drawn to your presence. Forgive us today. We're part of the problem and not the solution. Forgive us, O oh Lord. May we come to terms with what you have called us to. Today, Lord, we pray first for the healing of the church. We pray that your righteous church would be the church unblemished. The church that is watchful and obedient to the word of God. The church that is militant. The church that is triumphant and glorious. That's what you've called it to be. The church that loves as you love. You said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples when you love one another. Forgive us for not loving one another as you love. Love is the fruit of the Spirit. Holy Spirit, we ask you to bring that fruit alive in our hearts, regardless of the color of our skin, our cultural background, our social status. You said that we're one. We are one, and by this shall all men know. Your word said in Acts 17, out of one man, God populated the entire universe. Therefore, we're brothers and sisters. By creation, we're brothers and sisters spiritually through the blood of Jesus. Forgive us our ignorance and our twisting of your word for our own purpose. The false doctrines that have been taught in the churches of Jesus and spread in our society. Forgive us, O oh Lord. Forgive us. Today we pray for healing. Today we pray that as you heal, you'd unite in love. All people, but especially your church to be an example to the world. Open Bible and all the other denominations. Those that are hostile to what is happening, failing to look at the root. Just looking at what is happening in the streets and not looking at the root. Forgive God. We forgive our brothers and sisters. And we ask today that you'd heal. And the blood of Jesus, which cleanses us, 
would somehow be like salve, washing away the blindness and bring us all into unity according to your word. Lord, I thank you for our Open Bible President. I thank you for his effort to do something. I thank you for his heart. I pray that you'd bless this man and guide the committee that you would do according to your heart and good will come and it would be an example to other denominations. Lord, I lift up your servant today who would bring the word. I pray for your rich anointing. I pray for boldness to speak exactly what you have put in his heart. I pray not one of your word would return to you void, but would accomplish your purpose. I lift up the family of this church and all who are watching us virtually, wherever they are today. I pray you'd meet every need, oh God. You know those who are troubled emotionally, spiritually, physically. Many are in need. Some need jobs. Some are ill and need your healing touch, physical touch. Some are anxious and need your peace, God. Some are fearful. Some have lost their loved ones just this very weekend. We pray for the comfort of the spirit for each family that's hurting today. We pray for the frontline workers, oh God, for the covering and protection against infection and harm. Our nurses, our doctors, Lord, those in retail, everyone on the front line, the emergency workers, the, the shop um, keepers, God, the servers, we ask your mercy. But Lord, today we pray that your spirit would grab the hearts of those who are indifferent to following precautions. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would just stop these in their tracks, that they would not continue to spread the infection because they care less and are selfish and self-centered, enjoying their pleasures while harming others through their carelessness. Today we pray, God, your mercy, mercy, heal our land, heal of this coronavirus, God. Send help from the sanctuary. God, you know where it came from and you know how to get rid of it. We ask you for mercy. Mercy. Raise up your Daniel. Raise up your Joseph with an answer. Send an answer, God. Give wisdom and insight to those who research and who work to solve this problem. And Lord, I pray for policymakers, for wisdom, God that they would stop politicking and care about the people that they lead. Here, oh God, we come against the confusion in our leadership in the mixed messages sent. God, forgive our people, forgive our nation, forgive. Hear and answer and have mercy upon this nation. Have mercy upon the nations of the world, the poor who are suffering. There's no help for them. We pray you'd hear an answer today and have mercy. We humbly ask these mercies in your name. Hear our cry, O oh God. Hear an answer from heaven, your dwelling place. Hear, O oh God, you who rule over the affairs of men. You who rule in every nation, regardless of how it seems. Hear an answer today. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. 
Amen. And everyone agrees in virtual church and in physical church. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Praise God. Hallelujah. I want to welcome you this morning and glad that you're here with us. And also those joining us by the World Wide Web. I'm going to continue to pray for the church in America, evangelical church. You know, there are only two things that the evangelical, most of the evangelical church cares about. And it looks to them like there's only two wrongs and two issues that are important. It's only abortion and homosexuality. Anything else is irrelevant to them. Injustice is not part of what they see. They don't see that as relevant, as important. They don't see racism as, in, as relevant, as important. As long as someone stands against abortion and homosexuality, they rally behind anyone who voices for that, but they ignore all other issues. I think God is going to hold them accountable. And they'll have to give an account one day for doing that evil. Because it is wrong. It is wrong to only think that there are only two issues that are important. And so the evangelical church has been, and a lot of people are just rallying around whatever those two issues are. But the injustice that cries out from the streets There seems to be silence. It is readily, what is readily noticed is that if there is any violence, it's, it's, it's made known very quickly. And the violence is identified more than anything else. Uh, what Martin Luther King Jr. says, violence is a language of the oppressed. And there's a reason why. Not that we're supporting it, but you can't ignore it as well. It has a root. And we need to get to the root. And when we get to the root, as you heard this morning, we'll get healing. If the root of the tree is healthy, the tree will be healthy. And the fruit will be healthy. But if the root of the tree is corrupt and rotten, then the tree is going to be rotten and the fruit, it will bear no fruit. So this morning, let's pray for the church, the evangelical church, that there will be an awakening spiritually, a spiritual awakening to understand that abortion and homosexuality are not the only two issues that God cares about. But he wants justice and righteousness, which the Bible says is at the throne of God. So this morning, as we welcome everyone, we welcome uh, Joan, who's always joining us from Jamaica. Welcome. Uh, Adassa from Canada. Uh, Caroline and uh, Carlos, welcome again. 
from Canada, and we have so many different ones joining us, some from Curacao. We welcome you this morning. Other countries that you join us from, other states that you join us from, New York, and other places that you join us, Virginia, other places you're joining us. We appreciate you being a part of our service this morning. And of course, those of you that are here, I want to give you a big welcome. So let's give yourself a big hand. Give the next person a big hand. You that are here, we want to welcome you. Praise God. And it's a moment to turn around and say, look around and say hi to somebody. I mean, if you can recognize them behind the mask, that is, <laughs> praise God. All right. Amen. Sister Sammy, good to see you and your, and your tribe. <laughs> praise God. All right. Praise the Lord. Oh, yes. Mom is so looking so young. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I thought mom was one of the children. <laughs> oh, she's looking young. Praise God. God is good, isn't he? Amen. God is good. And all the time. Amen. Praise the Lord. We continue to pray for our nation. Pray for uh, a victory. Pray for a, a, a resolution to this crisis. Um, and pray especially for Florida. And the Floridians, and I want to appeal to those that are there that you need to be wearing your mask. Uh, I want to encourage you to wear your mask, and because uh, you're protecting not only yourself, but someone else. And that's so important to do that. So I want to encourage you, please, wear your mask wherever you go, and uh, protect yourself and others. We've got to look out for each other. We are in this thing together, and we can beat it together. And as you heard, each person has a responsibility. And if we all take up a responsibility, it will work. And we'll be able to get through this. Praise the Lord. I'm going to ask you to get your Bible. I'm going to read a passage of scripture this morning. From 1 Chronicles chapter 18. 1 Chronicles chapter 18. I'm going to use the NLT. And I'm just going to read from verse 1 to 6. And then 14 to 17. First Chronicles chapter 18. Uh, in a little while we'll continue to look at David. In First Chronicles chapter 18. And beginning at verse 1 to 6. It says in verse 1, After this, David defeated and subdued the Philistines by conquering Gath and its surrounding towns. David also conquered the land of Moab. And the Moabites who were spared became David's subjects and paid him tribute money. David also destroyed the forces of Hadad-Ezer, king of Zobah, as far as Hamath. When Hadadzeger marched out to strengthen its control along the Euphrates River, David captured 1,000 chariots, 7,000 charioteers, and 20,000 foot soldiers. He crippled all the chariot horses except enough for 100 chariots. When Armenians from Damascus arrived to help King Hadadzeger, David killed 22,000 of them. Then he placed several army garrisons in Damascus, the Armenian capital. And the Armenians became David's subjects and paid him tribute money. 
So the Lord made David victorious wherever he went. So the Lord made David victorious wherever he went. And then I'm going down to verse 14. It says, so David reigned over all Israel and did what was just and right for all his people. Joab, son of Zeruah, was commander of the army. Jehoshaphat, son of Ahilud, was the royal historian. Zadok, son of Ahitob, and Ahimelech, son of Abiathar, were the priests. Zeraiah was the court secretary. Benaniah, son of Jehoda, was captain of the king's bodyguard. And David's sons served as the king's chief assistants. Hearing that God's holy word. Let me make a couple of announcements. And I want to remind you that uh, the children's ministry is now on summer break. So you won't be having any uh, Zoom meetings this coming Wednesday. Uh, they're taking a break for the summer. And we'll let you know when things will resume. And the same thing for the youth Awana as well. Uh, this past Thursday was their last, for some before the summer break. And they've also taken the summer break as well. But I wanted you to know that our online Bible study continues. And uh, we will continue studying the Word of God through the summer as well. And uh, we'll be, we are in the book of Ruth. And uh, we're having a great time together in studying that little book. I want to make an announcement regarding uh, some of our family members. We have our sister Olive Lawrence went home to glory this past week. Um, and so just want you to know, Sister Mariam's mother, uh, she went home to be with the Lord and is at rest. So having served and having God, given God grace and praise and honor and, and living for him, she lived for 96 years. What a blessing. And so we, uh, I thank, continue to pray for the family that they will have strength and peace during this time uh, of their loss of their loved one. And there will be a funeral service that will be held here on July the 9th at 11 a.m. On July 9th, they will have a funeral service here at 11 a.m. And uh, we're going to try to stream the service so that those, because we, we won't be able to have everybody, and uh, we want to be able to make sure that you are at home. And then also others in other places, relatives who can't travel because of the COVID, will also be able to, to participate in the service as well. So that's going to be on Thursday. It's a Thursday, uh, uh, July 9th at 11 a.m. All right. Praise God. I think that those are the main announcements. I just want to continue to ask you to pray for our brethren, those who are still uh, ill. We have several who have had surgery. Uh, you know, Mark, Sister Anna Singh, and others who have had recent surgery. Uh, we have others who have, who have some of COVID and are at home, quarantined and recovering. Uh, they want to pray for them as well, uh, that they would recover and uh, also continue uh, to pray uh, that as we continue, that they will find some cure or some vaccine for this COVID-19. 
We've been looking at the life of David over the past several weeks. Uh, we have been studying David. Last week we looked at him as we continue to study him as a father. Uh, but we want to continue to look at David because he's a significant character in the Bible. And uh, not only is he mentioned in the Old Testament repeatedly, and uh, many know about David. I think if everybody, I think there's nobody in the world who haven't heard about David and Bathsheba. Isn't that amazing? Um, they may not know a lot of the other good things about David, but I can tell you, even the sinners, a lot of sinners who don't know the Bible, they know about David and Bathsheba. So David is a prominent person in the Word of God, and we can learn a lot from him. And so today, we're going to learn some more things from David. And so let's look to the Lord in prayer and invite him to speak to us through his word this morning. Father, we thank you that your words are life unto those that find them, and literal medicine unto all flesh. May you speak to us, O God, and may we hear from you. We ask you, Lord, that you would be with us, that the Holy Spirit will be our teacher and our guide. And we commit this time into your hands. May you be glorified, God. May your people be edified. We ask it in Jesus' name, and all God's people say, Amen. Now, David, the last time we left David, he was coming to the throne, finally. Uh, his road to the throne, we, we saw, was covered. It covered many years, and there were many trials. We looked at the fact that even though God had anointed him from a youth to be the leader over Israel, all Israel, it took him quite a while to get there. It took him many years before he got there, and he went through many trials. But throughout that journey, we found that David put God first, and he never really sought vengeance or retaliation against Saul, who tried to kill him. In fact, David was anointed three times before he got to the throne, before he was crowned king over all of Israel. He reigned seven years in Hebron over one tribe, his tribe that he came from, the tribe of Judah. And then eventually when he was crowned king over all Israel, he reigned for 33 years for a total of 40 years reign. Now David's accomplishments as Israel leader is really unmatched. He is a type of Christ who will rule as God's coming king. His personal qualities and faith provide examples for believers of all ages. I want to start with David's military accomplishments because they are important, as you will see how important a part it played in what he was to achieve. Militarily, David's rule was strong and aggressive, and his accomplishments were unparalleled. You know, other men of history have demonstrated military and administrative capacity, but David overshadows them by the breadth and depth of his ability. And to cap it all, David is one of the great men of faith. He's also in God's hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Now establishing the kingdom, once David came to the kingdom, first required defeating Israel's enemies. 
I want you to know that going all the way back to the days of the judges, back to the days of Samson, you remember, the one nation that harassed Israel over and over again were the Philistines. Well, finally, through a series of battles, David destroyed the power of the Philistines. It, it was, they were Israel's principal enemy. And David neutralized the Philistines. His neutralization of them was complete in the sense that never again did they ever pose a threat to God's people. It was not only the Philistines that David attacked, but he also had battles against Moab and Edom. And with all those victories, what we find is that David was able to secure what we call vassals, or what it means by a country that is subordinate to others. And so what David did was if you had, this was his country, he created, he captured those countries around his country so that they would be sort of a protective arm for his, where he lived. And so he went out and captured those surrounding nations. And they then were subjects to him. The beauty about that is that if you remember in the time of Saul, the Philistines were known for their metalwork. And the Philistines, and so they're in the Bible, you will read that in Israel, at a time, there was only Jonathan and King Saul, only two persons whose swords were sharpened because you had to go to the Philistines to get them sharpened. And so you had to go down to the enemy's territory. And if you didn't want to get your, if you didn't want to go to the enemy's territory, your implements, your swords, and the weapons of battle could not be sharpened because Israel did not have the iron that was necessary to do that in their country. Well, with the capture and the, with the subjection of the Philistines, and the surrounding nations, David now controlled that. And now Israel was now able to have weaponry, sharpened weaponry. And not only were they able to have weaponry, but they were able to have tremendous amount of skilled labor force. Because those many people from all those nations provided skills for David in metal work. And so he was able to create a tremendous army. So David's military might played very well in the security of his nation. When you come to the government, as king over the nation, David acted quickly to centralize the government. It was a key step that he made when he chose for the site, his capital, as Jerusalem. And David grasped the that both religious and political significance of affirming Israel's identity as a single nation. If you remember, Israel was always referred to as 12 tribes of Israel. Well, David took care of that, and he changed that, and he moved them from a tribal nation to a central government. And David selected Jerusalem as his capital. Now, when David selected Jerusalem... It was occupied by a people called the Jebusites. And Jerusalem, which we now call the city of David or Zion, 
by the different names by which it is called. At that time, the Jebusites controlled Jerusalem. It was a very high wall city, very protected. And so the Jebusites used to boast that the lame and the blind could defend themselves from anyone outside. They said, even the lame and the blind could defend us because we are so fortified with this wall. No one can come in. But I got to tell you, David, under his leadership and under the commander of Joab, they penetrated and they captured Jerusalem and made it the capital. And so it was strategic. It was strategic in the sense that Jerusalem was located on the border between Judah and the other nations, the 12 other tribes that were living in the north. And so selecting Jerusalem was wise politically. It was wise politically because David did not want to seem as if he was favoring only the tribe of Judah and ignoring the northern tribes. So he chose a city that was on the border between Judah and the northern tribes. And so neither could say that you were favorite to each other. It was a wisdom. David used a lot of wisdom in what he did. And so Jerusalem became the capital for David. Isn't that interesting that now we are back in the year 2020 and Jerusalem has now been reverted as the capital of Israel. Isn't that amazing? Well, guess what? It's amazing, but it was predicted in Scripture. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse 5, the, the Bible predicted that time, in the time of Moses, it says, The place the Lord your God will choose from among all your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. And so when the, when the temple was built in Jerusalem, it was predicted that from the time of Moses. It was not built until the time of Solomon. And, it was, and, and so it, the temple was built during the days of Solomon, but was predicted by Moses' time, from Moses' time, that that would be the place that God would choose for his dwelling. And so David's genius for organization showed itself not only in the religious, but also in the civil areas as well. We found out that as we read this morning, that David's sons were, 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 were chiefs. And David apparently set governor over each of the 12 tribes. He had a tremendous organization. His genius, his commitment to the service of God was enriched by the Spirit of God. It caused Israel to experience a time of glory. So in essence, here's what David did. Throughout David's life, he made some transition that was critical for the nation of Israel. He moved Israel from a government by judges to an established monarchy. He moved Israel from anarchy to strong central government. He moved them from a loose confederation of tribes to a unified nation. He moved them from poverty and a Bronze Age technology. And David sort of in his time moved them to almost like what we would call a Silicon Valley type age at the time for them. And David moved them from being a subject people that were always harassed 
by other nations to being conquerors. And David moved from decentralized, he decentralized, he moved from the decentralized worship where the people were worshiping in the north and then they were worshiping in the south and he centralized the worship in the temple in Jerusalem. Now this transformation was God's work through David and it stands today as an example of what we can expect when Jesus Christ returns and he sets up his millennial kingdom. But what was the secret of David's success? You know, when anyone is successful today, everybody wants to know what is the secret. Everybody wants to know if a stockbroker is successful in picking stocks and doing well in the stock market. And he becomes what is called a guru. Everybody wants to follow that person. They want to find out what is it that, what is it that he does. I mean, and then, they, you know, Warren Buffett is one of those persons that uh, people want to know what Warren Buffett is buying or what, is, or what stocks he's selling. And they sort of watch those kind of movements because he's getting good advice. And so people that are successful, people tend to track them. But I want you to know that David had only one source of success. And we see that repeated again in 2 Samuel chapter 8 that we read this morning. In 2 Samuel, we read in 1 Chronicles. And we also see it in 2 Samuel chapter 8, verse 6 and 14. And here's what the phrase says. We've seen it three times. It says, the Lord gave David victory wherever he went. Can I tell you this morning that David's source of success was the Lord. And can I say to you this morning and to myself, our source of victory is always the Lord. He is our source of victory. No matter what it is, isn't it a wonderful thing to hear that David, the Lord made David and gave him victory wherever he went. Wow. Would you like that? Wouldn't you like that to be said about you that the Lord gave you victory wherever you went? Well, that's exactly what happened for David. And I don't believe that it's only for David. I believe that God is a fear God. God is a just God. God is a God of equality. God is a God who is righteous. And so for you and I this morning, it is available. He is available. And he can make you and I victorious wherever we go. Can you give him praise this morning? We thank God that we serve a God who does not practice favoritism. The Bible tells us that God is not partial. Isn't that wonderful to know this morning? That you and I can equally go before him. And he will, not, he will not treat someone better than the other because of the color of their skin. He will not treat someone better than the other because they're from a different nation. He will not treat somebody better than the other because of their social status. He will not treat somebody better than the other because of their economic status. He will not treat somebody better than the other because of their political persuasion. Our God is a fear God and a just God. And we give him praise this morning for the fact that he's fear and just. And he's for all people. Praise God. Now despite David's success, he is human. And as human, we make mistakes. As human, we do things that we shouldn't do sometimes. 
And we can learn from David so that we can guard ourselves. And I want to highlight two of those things that David did. One of those things was we read in 2 Samuel chapter 6, you will read, is when David tried to bring the ark of God to Jerusalem, the capital. You remember that the ark of God symbolized the presence of God in the nation. And wherever the ark of God was, it is believed that, of course, wherever the ark of God was, there would be victory, there would be wonderful things happening, there would be blessings because the ark. And so when the people went to battle and they saw and the ark was brought in, they rejoiced because now the presence of God was with them. And the ark represented the presence of God for the people. And David wanted to bring it up back to Jerusalem, the capital. And so David created, it was in this particular man's house. And so they created, they, they built a new cart. They didn't even want to use an existing cart. They decided that they were going to build a new cart to transport the ark from this man's house back to, the, to Jerusalem. And as they were carrying the ark in this new cart, the one man's son was in the head of the cart and another son was behind the cart. And you can picture this wooden ark in the cart being carried along by the animal as he draws the cart and they're going up the hill because it was a very hilly country. And the Bible tells us that the animal stumbled and the ark seemed to have like it was going to fall out of the cart. And Uzzah put his hand to stabilize it because the last thing he wants is for the ark of God to be fallen to the ground. And as he touched the ark, immediately he dropped dead. David was angered by that. And he was puzzled. And he became afraid. You can imagine you picture being there. Who now wants to touch it? Who now wants to do any further? I mean, imagine everything is frozen now. The, 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 the cart is not moving. Uzzah is dead. What do we do? And they looked around them and they saw there's a house. The house of Obed-Edom. I said, let's just put it into that house. So they lifted up the ark. I would presume by this time they probably got sticks. That they, because the ark was built with rings. So God had made it that you could put the stick through it. And that the Levites could carry it. And I'm sure they must have gone and called for the Levites. And the Levites came because everybody's trying to figure out what do we do. And they found out, out and so they would put the staves in it. And they would transport it into the house of Obed-Edom. And they left it there. And immediately the Bible tells us, as it got into the house of Obed-Edom, words start spreading. Everything that Obed-Edom has is being blessed. 
His, 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 thaw, his cattle is increasing. His, you know, his sheep, they're increasing. I mean, everything, Obed-Edom is being blessed. And it is very obvious that this blessing began since the ark was placed in his house. And David realized that because of where the presence of God is, Obed-Edom was being blessed. And so he figured, we need, to, we need that blessing in Jerusalem. And so, David researched, I presume, and realized what was the mistake that he made. You see, God had said that the ark should only be carried by the Levites. That was his instruction. The ark was supposed to be carried by the Levites, and the Levites only. No one else was allowed to touch the ark. And God had gone through pains. If you go back into Exodus and read the, the construction of the ark and how it was done, and you will see that the pains, that, the, how many pages God went through to the, about the tabernacle and the, and the furnishings, and, and you'll see about the ark and, and the things that he made to make sure that the, it had rings around it and it had these sticks that went through the rings so that they could support it on their shoulders and they could carry the ark. The Levites were the only ones. You see, but expediency does not change the word of God. Because at the moment, it seemed like it was okay to move the ark by a cart. And they even didn't want to use an old cart. They made a brand new cart. But that doesn't change anything. See, here's the thing we need to learn. Doing things God's way, whether we like it or not, is the only right thing to do. I want you to know this morning that doing things God's way, whether you like it or not, is the only right thing to do. Let me give you some example. For instance, when the Bible says in Matthew 6, 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all other things will be added unto you. You know, a lot of people go for the added things first. And they do not seek the rule of God, which is what it means, seek first the kingdom. The rule of God over your life. They don't seek the rule of God over their lives first. To them, they go after the other things first. And they find out that they're struggling as they go after the other things. But if you will do what God says by seeking him first, asking him to be ruler over your life first, he will order your steps and guide you and direct you and he will provide for you and protect you. The Bible says when you do that first, all the other things will be added unto you. You can't go another way. You try to do it any other way, it's not going to work. Because in time you go contrary to God's word, you will have no success. Here's another one. It's found in Matthew 6.15. It says if you do not forgive others... Your heavenly Father will not forgive you. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how you think about that. It doesn't matter how you feel about that. It's irrelevant. It's not going to change anything. The Bible says, unless you forgive others, God will not forgive you. And so if there's somebody in your heart that you have not forgiven this morning, 
If there's somebody that you know that you need to forgive, you need to do that hurriedly because unless you do that, the Bible says God will not forgive you. You can falsely believe that you are forgiven by God when you still have not forgiven whom he says you need to give first. Because he says you've got to do that first. That's why Jesus says in the word of God says, if you come to the altar to offer your gift and you remember that somebody has something against you or you remember that you have something against somebody, the Bible says go first and make right with them and then come back to the altar. Coming to the altar first doesn't, doesn't make any difference. Just because you think it is, you know, just coming to the altar. Oh, no, no, that doesn't work. You've got to do it God's way. Doing God's way, whether we like it or not, is the only right thing to do. And then the Bible says another one, give. And it will be given to you. Press down. Shaking together. Running over, shall men give into your bosom? Luke 6.38. And with the same measure that you measure, it will be measured back to you. It's no other way. You know, a lot of people want to receive, but they never want to give. You can't, that's not all the Bible says. And it says, give and it. By the way, the it is anything. The it is not only money. A lot of people, when they hear it, they want to think money. Oh, no. It, is, it involves kindness. It involves forgiveness. It involves mercy. It involves compassion. It can be any of those different things. And the Bible says, when you give, and it shall be given unto you. Give, and it, whatever you give. You give love, you get love. You give kindness, you're going to get kindness. You give compassion, you get compassion. You give mercy, you're going to get mercy. You want mercy? Then you got to give mercy. Do you want kindness? Then you got to give kindness. And so whatever it is that you give, it will come to you. And the Bible says, guess what? It's going to come back to you in the same measure that you give it. So if you give it stingily, guess how it's coming back to you? stingily and so it's so here in a sense did you get that in a sense that you control your destiny that way that we are the ones controlling our destiny that way that if I really want a lot of compassion, if I think that I really people, I wish people were merciful to me, that I should show a lot of mercy if I want people to forgive me then I should show a lot of forgiveness. Because the same measure that I use to give is the same measure. It's going to come back to me. If I want a lot of kindness and I like people to be kind to me, then I need to show a lot of kindness. If I want understanding and people to be understanding to me, and what I want more than anything else is understanding, then guess what I've got to show? A lot of understanding. And then the Bible says, bring all the tithes and offering to the storehouse. And prove me herewith. If I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you won't have room to contain. It doesn't work any other way. That's what God says. And if you try to do it any other way, it's not going to work. 
You can only, it doesn't matter how you and I feel. It doesn't matter what you and I think about it. It doesn't matter what we think that this doesn't seem right or it doesn't seem fair or what does he want me to do. It doesn't matter. It doesn't change anything. Doing things God's way, whether we like it or not, is the only right thing to do. And David learned because to move the ark to Jerusalem, we read later on, that it says, and they were bringing the ark. Now the Levites were carrying it. Now he got the people who God said to do it. Now he was doing it God's way. And the ark was ultimately brought to Jerusalem. And there was rejoicing and dancing and celebration. Because when we do things God's way, what a time, what a beauty, what a wonderful thing. When we do it God's way, things work when we do it God's way. The second thing that David did that was interesting. David in 1 Chronicles chapter 22 and verse 1. He took a census. He took a census of the nation. And what we find is that in 1 Chronicles 22 and verse 1. And 2 Samuel 24 and verse 1, we find both stories, but they both say something different. So let me help to clarify that for you. In, first, in 2 Samuel 24, 1, it says, And the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, Go and take a census of Israel and Judah. It says, The anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he, the Lord, incited David to go and take a census of the people. In 1 Chronicles 22, talking about the same event, it says Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to go take a census of the people. It may sound contradictory, but it is not. What it simple means is that God simply let Satan tempt David to incite him to, to, to go and take the census. He allowed it. In the same way that God allowed the devil to afflict Lot. I mean Job, sorry. To afflict Job when he was, when he had come and said to Job, said to God, and God said, have you seen my servant Job? And he says, oh yeah, I see him, but he's only doing this because of that. And all these things. And God says, okay, you can afflict him, but you can't kill him. You see, what it means, my friend, is that in sovereignty, God's ultimate authority extends even to the workings of Satan. See, God is sovereign over everything. God is sovereign over everyone. And that's why you got to understand that the devil really can't touch you unless God allows him to touch you. He can't touch you unless God allows him to touch you. And you got to understand that what I said before, and we're going to keep saying it again, is that anything you see happening in the world, I don't care what it is, whether we think it's a good thing or we think it's a bad thing, no matter what you see happening in the world, you've got to remember that there's only two things related to God. He either decrees it to happen, or he's allowed it to happen. God is always either decreeing something to happen. Or he's allowing it to happen. And so 
No, we don't understand. We, we won't know the reasons why God does that. We won't know the reasons why God would decree something. And we will not necessarily know the reason why God would allow it either. But we do know that the sovereign God never loses control. And God is never only sovereign sometimes. And God is never only sovereign over some things. God is always sovereign ruler over the universe. Every government is under the authority of God. Whether it's a bad government or good government. Every nation is under the authority of God. Whether it's a peaceful nation or a warlike nation. It is still under God's authority. Now we don't understand why certain things happen and we cannot explain it. But it is allowed by God. And so what we find is that David decided to take a census here. And the problem with it is this. The reason why ultimately after David had sent Joab. And when, when David told Joab that he wanted to take the census. Joab said to him, my king, my lord. Why do you want to do such a thing? Haven't the Lord blessed and multiplied your, your people? Why would you do this? And Job didn't like the idea. And Job pleaded with David not to do it. But the Bible says the word of the king prevailed. And Job went out and he took the census and came back to David. And the moment he gave David the number, David's heart pricked him and he realized he did wrong. And he says, I've sinned. And God sent his prophet to David and said, yes, you sinned. And I'm going, to want, I'm going to give you three punishments to choose one from. We won't get into the punishment aspect because that's not what I want to focus on. I want to focus on the fact that what David was doing, why David took the census, it was he was trying to understand the capacity of his men. The capacity of when he goes to war, how many people will he have to depend on and rely on? Is he capable of winning wars if he's attacked? Because in those days, a nation could just rise up from you out of anywhere. And we want to understand something, my friend. Reliance on God as our source for everything is of paramount importance to God. Can I tell you that this morning again? Reliance on God as our source for everything is of paramount importance to God. God takes note of where we're putting our reliance. Am I relying on my career? Am I relying on my bank account? Am I relying on my education? Am I relying... On some family member. Am I, where is my reliance? Is it on him? Or is it on something else? Where am I putting my reliance? It becomes critical to God. Let me give you a quick story. That to tell you how serious it is. There was a king by the name of Asa. In the times of the kings of Judah. And Asa. In his early years. He did all that was right. Before the eyes of God. And he served well over 36 years as a king. And there was a vast army that came against him. And the army came against Asa, and Asa went out to battle. And the Bible says 
When he went out to battle, here's what Asa did. The Bible says, then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, Lord our God, for we are relying on you. And in your name, God, we have come out against this vast army. Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere mortals prevail against you. So you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, so the Lord defeated the Ethiopians in the presence of Asa. It wasn't Asa that defeated the Ethiopians. It was the Lord that defeated the Ethiopians in the presence of Asa. And the army of Judah and the enemy fled. They were destroyed by the Lord and his army. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I'm reading what the Bible says. They were destroyed by the Lord and his army. The Lord and his army. And guess what? And the army of Judah carried off a vast amount of plunder. You know the word plunder in the Bible means all the possessions that the people brought. All their goods, all their things, all their wealth. So what happened? The battle is not yours, my friend. The battle is the Lord's. And the Lord will fight the battle if you will rely on the Lord. But he's looking to see where we're relying. He's looking to see on who we rely. Are we relying on him or are we relying on another source? And when David was trying to count the number of men in the army, he was trying to decide the size of his army and the capacity and capability of his army. And it seemed at that point, it would be as if he's not relying on God. And remember what God did with Gideon, remember? When Gideon was going to fight against the army of the Philistines and he had so many thousands of men and God says, they are too many. And he whittled them down from thousands to 300. And God says, now I can win the battle because now, because you can't win with 300. It is not possible, humanly possible to win with 300. And so, but when you go with 300, and you win the battle, you know that it was not you. It was all God. And you give him the glory and the praise and the honor. Does anybody have anything to give God praise and glory for this morning? Do you have anything to give God praise and glory for? That he is the one who's won the battle for you. That he's the one that has given you the victory today. Now here's what happened. And here's where we need to learn and be careful. Asa prayed that wonderful prayer. What a prayer. What a prayer. Several years later, 30 something years later, another army came against Asa. What did Asa do? He went out and he hired another nation to come and help him fight. The same king. He went out and hired another nation to help him fight. And when he was coming to come, and, and, and God sent a prophet to him and says, Because you have put your trust in the king of Aram instead of in the Lord your God, you missed your chance 
to destroy the army of the king of Aram. Don't you remember what happened to the Ethiopians and the Libyans and their vast army with all their chariots and charioteurs? At that time you relied on the Lord and he handed them over to you. The eyes of the Lord searched the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. What a fool you have been. From now on you will be at war. What a tragedy. What a mistake. If we ever get so comfortable that we, because time have passed. You see, when we didn't have anything financially, Hmm. When, we were, when we were just starting out and we didn't have anything. We prayed. We believed God. We had faith and confidence in God. That's who we looked to, to provide for us. That's who we looked to, to take care of us. But you see, when we amass our 401k and our 403bs and we have our thing... And now we have our house, and now we have our car, and now we have our this. See, years have passed, you see. And now we've gathered some stuff. And the tendency is, my friend, we have to be careful. Because now we can think, oh, I have this. I can rely on this. And not God. What a mistake. Which is what Asa did. See, now he could send money to this king to hire other kings. But in the beginning when he was starting out as a young king, listen to the prayer the man prayed. Crying out to God and saying, I'm relying on you. And there is none like you. And who can fight like you? Then he goes off. He gets comfortable. We got to be very careful. We got to be very careful as, as we get old, as we grow more in our Christianity. We got to be very careful that we do not make the mistake of losing our reliance on God. Just because your 401k may be healthy today, I want you to know. Be careful. <laughs> we can do that. And it's gone. And all that you were relying on, the 401k is gone. The, 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 the bottom drops out of the economy. All your equity in your house drained out. Your house is now not worth what you thought it was worth before. And you're looking at it and thinking, oh, what a great amount of equity I have. It's all gone just like that. In a snap. That is why we must be careful. At all times, God must be our source. We must rely on him. Never get too comfortable. Never get to the place where you think, I am good now. 
I can make it on my own. We are never, ever at a place where we can make it on our own. We must always humble ourselves to remember no matter where we are at, we still need God. So this morning, I want you to stop and give God praise. To let him know, God, I'm still relying on you. I'm still dependent on you. You're still my source. You're still the one I'm looking to. I'm still relying on you. Oh, that we may pray like Asa prayed in the beginning. Oh, we may have the prayer like Asa. He says, God, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, Lord, our God. For we rely on you. And in your name we have come against this vast enemy. My friend, let us learn from the lessons of David's life. Let us remember reliance on God as our source for everything. For everything. Not some things, my friend. But for everything. For your health. For your peace. For your joy. For your happiness. For your breakthrough. For your deliverance. For your provision. For your protection. Reliance on God. It is paramount to God. The Bible says his eyes are searching to and fro. Looking for those whose hearts are fully committed to him. That they are not just one minute for him. And the next time they are off. And then they are on. And then they are off. But are we always remembering, Lord, you are my source. So we're going to close with that song. Lord, you are my strength. You are my hope. We want him to know this morning that he is our strength. He is our hope. He is the one that we depend on. He is the one we are relying on. Stand together with me. Strength. strength like no other. Strength like no other. Oh, yes. Strength like no other. Hallelujah. Oh, Yes, Lord.
provider, your defender, your healer, your advocate. Let him be everything to you this morning. Rely on the Lord. Let him know. Lord, I'm relying on you. Oh, Father and our God, we thank you Thank you that this morning we can learn from David the great king but he made mistakes. He was human. And like us that make mistakes but we can learn vicariously. We can learn from other people's mistakes. We can learn from Asa. And he relied on you at the beginning. But in the end, he thought he was, he didn't need to anymore right now. There are those watching us that you know where you're coming from. You know what you've been through in the beginning and you know what little you had. You know when you had nothing. and You relied on God. Now God has blessed you and you've accumulated something. Don't make the mistake of falsely relying on that. You need God still. And if you've never received him as your savior, if you've never accepted him, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord, you always thought you could manage without him. I want you to know there is no victory without him. 
The Bible says every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above. The Bible says a man can receive nothing except what is given to him from above. Did you hear that? A man can receive nothing except what is given to him from above. Everything that you and I have, every progress that you and I have made is because of him. And the Bible says, you may say, why is he so good to me? Because I'm not serving him. The Bible says the goodness of the Lord is to lead you to repentance. If you have never repented, this is your morning, this is your day to repent. To say, God, I'm sorry. I've relied on my resources and myself, my education, my, my strength, my this, my that, whatever you want to call it, whatever you've relied on but I've never relied on you. You want to change that this morning? You simply say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I want to receive you as my Savior. If you're a backslider and you're returning to God, you can be honest with Him this morning and say, God, I've not lived for you. I've drifted. But today, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. I'm coming back to you. I want to live for you. You're honest. He welcomes you. He receives you. Whether you're a new Christian or whether you're a backslider returning, or a believer being strengthened. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace as together we say, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. God bless you all and God bless you out there in virtual world, in the web world. We love you, appreciate you. Thank you for being with us this morning. God bless everyone that, that were here this morning. May God go with you as you head. The offering, if you have your offering, you can put them in the buckets. Otherwise, you can always go online and continue to do that. Just remember to go online and continue to give your offering. But if you want to put them in the bucket as you see them here, you can just drop it in the bucket and they'll pick them up later on. God bless you. Have a blessed day. We love you all. <laughs>